name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So, God willing, we'll be starting a study on the book of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, since we started the Apostles' Fast yesterday, um, and we should finish in the next few weeks. Uh, and it's a, a tradition that we read these uh, this whole book uh, during this time, and we remember the epic story of the birth and the um and the growth of the early church uh, in the first few centuries after our Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and sent us the Holy Spirit. So when we look at our goal today is to just have a brief introduction on the book of Acts. And uh, over the next four weeks after that, we'll divide it up into seven chapters. So we'll be easily uh, be able to read uh, along the way. So hopefully you guys can read seven chapters a week. Uh, it shouldn't be difficult if you start... Um, early like start today and then one chapter a night over the next few weeks uh, should be able to complete the whole book uh, within four weeks by july 7th and we'll also be using along the way too just uh, as our guide saint john chrysostom's commentary on the acts of the apostles he's one of the giants in our church as you may know uh, he's a fourth century church father and he's famous for his biblical commentaries one of the most profound writers and prolific writers in church history um, and uh, St. John Chrysostom has a verse-by-verse -verse commentary on the book of Acts. I will send you a PDF on the video because um, this will be posted onto YouTube afterwards. So if you look right below the YouTube channel on the very uh, bottom there, there should be a link to uh, a PDF file which is St. John Chrysostom's commentary. And so if you will, after you read your seven chapters per week, if you want to read more, uh, you, you'll get a deeper and more fulfilling experience all about this. And it doesn't just have to happen during these four weeks. It can continue on afterwards. Okay, so when we think about the Acts of the Apostles, we first ask ourselves, okay, well, who wrote it and what credibility does this person have? So the Acts of the Apostles were written by St. Luke. This is the same St. Luke, of course, who wrote the Gospel according to St. Luke. Um, he, um, some traditions say, including ours, that he was one of the 70 apostles. Um, although we don't know exactly for sure, but uh, that's one of the uh, 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 commentaries says that he was one of those 70 apostles that went out and preached. Uh, but one thing we know for sure that he was a companion and disciple of St. Paul. So he saw many of the things and accompanied St. Paul in all of his labors and efforts. Uh, even St. Paul himself says at one point, everybody forsook him. Uh, he was alone in the ministry uh, and only Luke is with me, he says. Only Luke stood by him. And so Luke wrote a eyewitness account of the early church as he saw it. Um, and so that is very valuable to us, right? That this eyewitness, and we'll talk about this a little later. When we look at the, like a, a big overarching view of what this book means for us and why we even um, have it in, in scripture, <clears throat> some of the summary is that this book has a lot of doctrine in it, um, which we wouldn't have known about if we didn't have the book, right? So this book, if it didn't exist, uh, there's a lot of church uh, and Christian beliefs and Christian practices that we wouldn't have if we didn't have this book in writing. Uh, so it also offers us a very amazing uh, picture of a practical life as a Christian, life of the apostles, life of the early church, 
um, we see how they lived and how, what, what are the, some of the things they did, what are the, some of the things they practiced, um, and especially of St. Paul who labored more abundantly than they all, right? He truly did uh, sweat and tears and effort and blood uh, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of uh, the church. Um, but we have to, though, the book of Acts has all these amazing things and it's 28 chapters, right? Uh, but we also emphasize that not all of the things the apostles did are written in this book, right? There are many things that the apostles did that they have delivered to us by unwritten tradition, right? When we talk about who wrote the New Testament generally, we only have a handful of people who wrote. Um, so if the book of Acts covers the apostles and disciples in the early centuries before they went out and preached all over the world, uh, you know, what about St. Matthew and what about St. Thomas and what about St. Bartholomew? All of these other amazing uh, saints of the 12 disciples and what about the other 70 apostles such as St. Mark um, who went to Egypt? You know, we don't uh, have that in scripture in the book of Acts. But we do have it in church tradition. We know these things happened. And we know the things they taught, right? And those things that they taught were delivered to us through church tradition. Um, so the Bible is not all-inclusive. And the Bible itself says that. Uh, many times, uh, St. John would, for example, say uh, that the world itself could not contain the books if everything was written about what God did for humanity. The, the world itself would not be able to contain all the books. So when we summarize, like, what's the thesis of the book of Acts? Like, if, if the book had a purpose, what is the point it's trying to get across? It, it's trying to prove one very important fact. It is the demonstration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And showing, as evidenced by, the work of the Holy Spirit. So we see that the book of Acts is really the book of not the acts of the apostles, but it's the acts of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of the saints. So gently by degrees, St. Luke through the Holy Spirit leads to higher truths, okay? So he begins very softly and, and gently, and then as we progress, we get a deeper understanding of scripture. St. John Chrysostom says, for so it is that while they discourse so much about Christ, the apostles, that is, they have spoken but little concerning his divinity, his Godhead. It was mostly about the manhood that they discoursed, that they talked about. They talked about his manhood, of the passion, of the things that he suffered on the cross. And then they talked about the fact that he rose from the dead and ascended into the heavens. For the thing required in the first instance was this that it should be believed that he was risen and ascended to heaven. That's the first basis of our faith. Um, everything else after that comes in due time. So after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we talked about that, the fact that Christ stayed 40 days with the apostles. Um, these are the words which I've spoken to you while I was still with you. Um, that, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. 
So one of the things he did for them is that he opened scriptures, right? He brought to their remembrance the things that he did during his three-year ministry with them. He taught them some of the elements of church tradition, like the sacraments and the liturgies. We talked about some the fact that the apostles did not write a lot of the um, scriptures, right? Only a handful of the apostles and disciples did. What about the others? Well, their focus wasn't on writing books. You know, they didn't care about having a book after their name. They cared about the salvation of other people. And what did they do? They went to different churches and they established the priesthood and they established the liturgy. I mean, these are the things that were the basis of what the church was so that people can be baptized and that they can take the Eucharist and that they can have chrismation um, and all of these other blessings that we receive through the church. <clears throat> Um, so he taught them those things, right? He gave them the priestly authority. And he said, uh, after his resurrection, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Um, so our Lord Jesus Christ breathed on St. Mark, right? St. Mark, when he went to Egypt, breathed on Ananias. And Ananias breathed on the person after him and all the bishops after him throughout the ages to Pope Carolus, to Pope Shenouda, to Ambassadapium, to the priests, to you during confession. Uh, if you notice, like during confession, the priest, after he reads you the absolution prayer, will blow on you. That breath has traveled through the millennia, through from Christ to, to travel 2,000 years to you to receive that blessing. And then finally, he gives them the great command during this 40 days at the end, right before he ascends, he gives them the great command to preach all over the world. The great command, right? What is that great command? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and of this, um, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you commanded you and lo i am with you always even unto the end of the age he is still with us he's guiding the church uh he's he's always with us and guiding us and protecting us and and sheltering us and bringing new people to the church uh right before this class i um i had a catechumen class with two people that were interested in being baptized and so god is still working he's bringing people to the church He's bringing people to the life-giving mysteries, uh, to, to the Eucharist, to the baptism. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then he says again in Luke, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be a witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So in this book, we see the apostles, right? Full of energy something happened to them after the resurrection right we know something happened because these 12 disciples who were afraid and for their own life they went 180 degrees and we look at the apostles one of the um uh, symbolic prophecies about the apostles was were like the tribes of israel before the philistines when right before david killed uh goliath how were they they were scared they were frightened after David killed Goliath with a stone and with his own sword, what happened to the Israelites? What kind of transformation happened to them? Like instantly, they went and chased their enemy across, right? Across the valley. We know that the apostles themselves, they now 
received power from the Holy Spirit, and did things that no prophets before them ever did. And that's be, not because that they were any different than us, but because the Holy Spirit was providing amazing testimony. Uh, the apostles speeding their way as if on wings. I mean, if you look at their, and you trace their, um, their path, it would be difficult for us to do this now with all the technology, with airplanes, automobiles, boats, uh, engines, and, and things like that. It would be difficult for us to do. They did that all on horseback, on, on sailboats, on, um, on, on just walking, like St. Mark who walked until his sandals broke. Uh, these are the same men who were, that were fearful and void of understanding all of a sudden become some creatures that were completely different, completely different, changing the world. So they, they despised wealth. They were raised above glory and passion. They were full of harmony. There was no envying in between them uh, as there was before when they were talking about how who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now you don't hear that after the, um, the Holy Spirit comes to them and they go and preach. They showed every virtue and every love. The apostles, as St. John Chrysostom said, as we said in a sermon a few weeks ago, uh, the apostles first taught by their conduct and then by their words. No, rather, they had no need of words when their deeds spoke so loud. For that is the best teaching which teaches, which teaches by action. That's St. John Chrysostom. And as our Lord said, in this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we love one another and if we love others, that's how uh, people will know that we are children of God. So, I mean, you look at this map and it's like, it's insane, right? We, we say, how did St. Paul accomplish this? Um, he went and had four, what are called the four missionary journeys. The last one, of course, being uh, his last when he goes to Rome. And so that's captured in the book of Acts. Um, but when you plot it on a map, it just gives a whole nother perspective, right? And uh, many of these churches still exist till today. Uh, many of them, though, like in Turkey, uh, unfortunately, have been swallowed up uh, with, uh, you know, persecution, unfortunately. Uh, St. Peter also journeyed uh, to Rome as well, as we know. Uh, his journeys, he mostly, of course, preached in Israel, but he also made journeys uh, through uh, Asia Minor and through Greece and finally to Rome. And not just uh, them, but also St. Mark. St. Mark's journeys, we see what St. Mark did, how he traveled from um, Israel and he traveled with St. Paul for a time and then returned to Jerusalem, then returned to Rome and then came to Egypt and then, you know, first came to Libya, traveled by foot along the coast to Egypt, and, um, you know, of course, baptized in Aeneas, and then learned that St. Paul and St. Peter were in prison, so he traveled once again to Rome, and after they were martyred, he helped establish the church, and then he came back to Alexandria, where he was martyred. So even St. Mark, you see him traveling uh, across the world. I mean, these were apostles and disciples, that uh, very simple people, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, as if they grew wings, like St. John Chrysostom said. It's, just, it's as if they were flying all over the place. So you can see uh, real quick, because St. Mark, of course, is important for us. Uh, he was born in Libya and then went to Israel. And then after the resurrection, continued with St. Paul for a while. And then he went to Rome. 
and then he came back to Libya and helped the church, uh, establish a church there in Pentapolis. Um, then came to Alexandria and then again went back to Rome and then back to Alexandria. So by the time the apostles all passed away, this is like, a, like these dots here where the churches were. I mean, they pretty much all along the Mediterranean uh, established churches everywhere. This was the, back then, this was the civilized world, right? This was the uh, epicenter of all education and, and civilization. There was nowhere else in the world that was advanced 2000 years ago like this. Uh, China was getting off the ground, of course, but um, here's where civilization uh, was, the, was at its uh, like farthest along, right? It's, and this is where Christianity started to grow. The apostles, though, they did not preach on um, just with words, right? They did not just go around speaking and preaching and, and holding a Bible. They didn't even have a Bible when they first preached, right? Uh, some people wrote epistles, but for those epistles to be copied by hand and given to everyone, it would take a long time before it was a handy um, book like we have today. Um, that took a few centuries, but we do have manuscripts from the very uh, early centuries uh, that shows, and quotes also from the church fathers that shows that some of the apostles at least had other copies of scriptures from the other apostles, but they went out, they weren't just preaching, they weren't just talking, they were doing something much more, they were showing the activity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, by a lot of miracles, right? When you look at some of the amazing, amazing miracles, right? They spoke in tongues. Uh, the, the Acts chapter two talks about various miracles that they did. The lame were healed. The the uh, you know the earth shook. Uh, the death of Ananias and Sapphira, the mysterious death of, of them. Uh, the mass healings and the apostles released from prison by an angel. Steve, Stephen's ministry always sees the heavens opened. Uh, Philip's translation, he teleported from one spot to another spot instantaneously. Uh, Ananias was healed. Um, Dorcas was raised from the dead. Peter released from prison by an angel. Uh, others were smitten with blindness. Um, crippled were healed. Sorcerers were delivered. Prisons were opened. Other unusual miracles. Uh, the shadow of St. Peter would heal. The uh, aprons or the like bandages of St. Paul would heal. Um, uh, so many amazing things that you can see that the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of the apostles to spread Christianity elsewhere. And we know from church tradition, like the story of St. Mark and how he healed the, the cobbler who was uh, sewing the sandal and uh, how St. Mark, uh, you know, prayed and healed his hand instantaneously. But why miracles, right? And this is something that St. You know, St. John Chrysostom says that for this reason, therefore, by the miracles performed by the apostles, he gives the evidence of his resurrection indisputable. You can't argue. So that not only the men of those times, this would be, this is what would come of the visual proof, but also all men thereafter should be certain of the fact that he was risen. So when we read these miracles, we, we say, wow, you know, for sure Christ risen, look at all the powerful things that only God can do, right? Um, indisputable, right? Things that you cannot really argue against. Upon this ground also, we argue with the unbelievers. 
For if he, he did not rise again, but remains dead, how did the apostles perform miracles in his name? But some will say, the apostles did not perform miracles, and what you're reading is just not true. That's what St. John Chrysostom says. But they did not, say some, perform miracles. How then was our religion instituted? For this certainly they will not refute nor censor what we see with our eyes, so that even when they say that there was no miracles that took place, they inflict a worse stab upon themselves. For this would be the greatest of miracles, that without miracles the whole world should be should have eagerly come to be taken in the nets of twelve poor and illiterate men. If there were no miracles, then this is the biggest miracle, that twelve poor and illiterate men were able to change the whole world. Um, very powerful writing from St. John. I'll leave you to read the rest on your own. And so the martyrdoms of, Saint, uh, of the saints, right? I mean, we know that all the twelve uh, apostles were martyred except St. John the Beloved. When we look at like St. Peter, he was crucified upside down. Um, St. Andrew was whipped and beaten and thrown into prison. He was dragged through the streets and they crucified him in the form of an X. Uh, St. James was beheaded. St. Philip was tied to a cross in Syria. St. Bartholomew preached in Babylon where he was beheaded. St. Jude was martyred in Iran. Uh, St. Thomas was martyred by the Hindus who uh, skinned him alive in uh, India. Until now, St. Thomas is their first uh, patriarch, right? The Orthodox Church over there, which we have, our Coptic Orthodox Church has full communion with the uh, Indian Orthodox Church. And St. Matthew, uh, some say he also went to Ethiopia and he was martyred there. We're not sure. Uh, St. James the Less was thrown off the high tower and stoned to death. And St. Simon was sawed in half in, in Iran. St. Matthias uh, preached in Turkey and they crucified him. The only person who was not martyred was St. John the Beloved who died in peace. He was approximately uh, 100 years old or so. St. Paul, of course, we know was beheaded in Rome. St. Mark, of course, we know that story really well, that he uh, preached in Egypt and his head was severed from his body while they dragged him through the streets by a horse. And we know St. Luke was hanged from an olive tree. So all of them, you know, this is the witness of saints who uh, lived poorly and very simply did not care about, um, you know, worldly possessions. They gave up the ultimate sacrifice, uh, which is the sacrifice of their own life. Uh, of all people that we believe in the world, when they tell us things, um, we sometimes question, like politicians, right? We question their motives, right? Um, but when we talk about the apostles, how can a reasonable person question the motives of the apostles who were willing to die? Not one or two or five, but mostly all of them. All, all of the, most of the 70 apostles and mo like all but one of the 12 disciples. I mean, that's, that's an over... And that's a very profound witness um, from the leaders of Christianity, right? All of these things point to the resurrection of, of, of Christ from the dead and also his uh, power of his Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers even today. Any questions there? about the introduction of what the book of Acts is about. 
So with that, let's um, begin with uh, chapter one. And next week, God willing, we'll cover the first seven chapters, and, um, but we'll like get our feet wet a little bit with chapter one today. One of the first things that when we look at the, um, the book of Acts is one of the things that he emphasizes which similarly he emphasizes in his gospel, um, yeah, in his gospel, St. Luke emphasizes the same thing, is that the things that he is about to talk about are from eyewitnesses. And I'm going to read you what he says in the first chapter of his gospel, and then we'll read the first chapter, like the first few verses of the book of Acts as well. So here's the gospel of St. Luke. Inasmuch as have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. So again, he relies because he interviewed all of the um, the amazing, uh, like he interviewed St. Mary, he interviewed all the apostles. Uh, so these were eyewitnesses, right? And if he was one of the 70, then that makes him a, a, an eyewitness as well. And now the first few verses of the book, of uh, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. The former account I made, the gospel, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So again, he relies on that eyewitnesses that Jesus Christ rose from the dead very tangibly. They handled him. They saw him. They touched him. They heard him. They ate with him. Uh, very powerful witness um, from the apostles. And it's all mentioned. It's all sprinkled. This very tangible foundation that we have is sprinkled throughout the New Testament as some of these verses show. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is also mentioned in the chapter one, right? After uh, Christ was speaking to them, he talks to them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, linger here for a while. And in a short period of time, basically we know now 10 days later, uh, you will receive the Holy Spirit. The apostles, and we'll talk more about the Holy Spirit when we read about it in chapter two next week. But um, the apostles asked for the, for example, when you read here in this first chapter, they said, Lord, now are, are you going to now, um, uh, he said, they say, therefore, when they asked, when they came together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you now going to kick out the Romans and establish the kingdom of Israel? So Christ does not rebuke them. He does not say, wow, have I been with you three years? You see the, the cross. You see the resurrection. You see me here 40 days with you after. You see my wounds in my hands. And then you're still asking about these worldly things. It's, a, it's another example of how quickly the apostles turned 
after they receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, but Christ gently points to greater things. He doesn't rebuke them, but he, he gently tells them, don't worry about this. It is not for you to know the times, nor the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you receive power, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and to all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he points their attention to something greater, right? Uh, kind of like as a father deals with his little children. Uh, if, you're, if you're a child, if you like say, for example, have a four-year-old child and the, the child wants some candy, you're not going to sit there and explain to him how candy is going to give him cavities and how it's going to hurt his stomach. He's not going to have it. He doesn't have the mental capacity. All he knows is he wants that piece of candy or that chocolate and there's no negotiating the issue. So what do you do? You point their attention to something else, a toy, something uh, even in his eyes that's going to be something much better rather than explaining to something to them that they're not going to understand. So the apostles, they weren't able to comprehend the issue yet because they did not yet receive the Holy Spirit. And he says this um, in John 16 as well. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So he leads them gently to greater degrees of truth. Um, and in the apostles preaching, we see the same thing. When they're preaching, they preach with a firm foundation and then they uh, greater degrees of truth as they go. And he deals with us the same way, by the way, as a side note, when we ask for things that sometimes we don't understand the answer to, we ask for God uh, to explain things to us. And he may say to us, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. We have not grown either maturity-wise or we have not grown uh, to a level of spirituality that we can comprehend things. St. Paul, for example, was taken up into heaven and he saw things that if he tried to explain to us, we wouldn't even get it. We wouldn't understand uh, things that we yet are not able to comprehend. But if he's talking to another spiritual giant, maybe they could understand and talk about that. One must wonder what the saints talk to each other about, uh, the saints who are still living today, uh, the uh, anchorites in the deserts. And when they get together and they meet, what are, the, what are their conversations like? You know, These are people that talk about heavenly truths that if we were present with them, it would blow our minds and we wouldn't really be able to comprehend certain truths, right? But God does want us to get there. He wants us to understand. Whether in this life or the life to come, he wants his children to have understanding and to have uh, that greater knowledge of the truth uh, as he presents it. So we have to be patient, right? We have to be like those four-year-old children who sometimes ask for candy Maybe it's not the best thing for us, and we have to be patient, knowing that God will answer all prayers in the way that is best for us uh, and the way that is most fit for us as Christians. Also in chapter 1, we also see uh, an, one of our major feasts, which is the ascension up into heaven. And why did he ascend to heaven? He ascended to heaven to become high priest, to intercede on our behalf, uh, offering not the... Uh, 
the uh, blood of animals, but offering his own blood uh, eternally as for that sacrifice that he did uh, 2,000 years ago. And because he's never, he never dies, he's able to offer it continually on our, on our behalf as the high priest. Uh, to receive dominion uh, over all things, um, you know, and we are with him on that, uh, to prepare us a home for us, as he says, I go to prepare a home for you. He took our human nature up into heaven to have that dominion, to have that uh, home in heaven, so that now when Christ is in us, we follow him as he ascends into heaven. Um, he also ascends to heaven so that he can give us the great command to preach the, the gospel to everyone, and also to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, to not just rely on our senses like St. Thomas, but to rely on the Holy Spirit being inside of us, a much more intimate, a much more deep uh, relationship with God than just seeing him. One may think, no, it's better to see him. No, the truth is, it's better to believe that he's inside of you, which is the truth, which we receive that gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, in a measure that has um, never been given to humanity before this time, right, before Christ. Uh, that we receive that Holy Spirit inside of us and we have knowledge, we have understanding, we have consolation, we have God working with us. We do not look far for God, right? He is inside of us. He, we look for, uh, for God inwardly in that inward kingdom, in that inner man inside of us. Um, I want to talk about that upper room a little bit. That upper room keeps appearing. Uh, that same upper room that was used for the Last Supper, uh, according to tradition, uh, it was the house of, it's the same room in the Last Supper, but also the same room in the Pentecost, which we're going to talk about in chapter two next week, God willing. And it's uh, the tradition says that it was the, um, the house of St. Mark's mother. So St. Mark's mother was the house where the first Eucharist occurred and where the first Pentecost occurred where the Holy Spirit came. So it was the first church in the world, right? Because that, that is where the church occurred, is when the Pentecost happens. So St. Mark's mother uh, house was a very special house. Um, great unity and oneness of thought among them. It says here that they were all with one accord. That means they were all with one thought, one way of thinking, one unity, uh, waiting and praying and fasting, uh, awaiting the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, a very beautiful view when we uh, just read over those few verses that talks about the upper room. Uh, maybe uh, one day we'll learn more about that upper room. And then the replacement of Judas with Matthias. So the apostles felt that it was important for them to replace the uh, office of Judas. Um, so they understood it that these were 12 offices and that office now was vacant because of the suicide of Judas. And so um, they felt the need to elect a new person. But what's amazing here is that we do not see or get any hint at all. And the apostles were never shy about talking about their own weaknesses, right? Uh, talking about their own lack of faith at times and their own struggle of faith. They were not ashamed of talking about those things. Um, but here you see no mention at all about contention or a striving or or some sort of like a, a, like a like a lobbying for people to vote for certain people or not, right? Uh, we we know that Matthias eventually got elected um, through the casting of lots, and that was it. Everybody was content. 
everybody was happy. Uh, the Holy Spirit spoke and they were okay with it. They did not fight the issue. So that's it for this first meeting. Um, we're hoping to do exactly as we did here for about an hour. Um, I'd like to open it up for any questions before we talk about what we're going to do next week.